Good morning and welcome to the Robin Report. I'm your host, Elliot Robin, so get ready to get triggered. Good morning and welcome to the Rabin Report. I'm your host, Elliot Rabin, and with me is my expert panel, Marshall, Daniel, and Tamar. How are you guys? Good. Fantastic. That's good to hear. Now, we've also got uh, two very special guests with us in studio today. Uh, we've got Ruben Perez and Anna Rizzo. I, I hope I said that right. Yes, Rizzo? you did. Okay, perfect. Uh, so, thank you for coming on the show today, guys. Uh, why don't you tell us a little about yourselves before we, we get to the to the juicy stuff. Uh, so, Ruben, let's start with you. All right, thanks so much for having us over. Um, so, as you mentioned, my name is Ruben Perez. I studied at Concordia University in political science and religious studies. I now work for the Ryerson Student Union. So that's pretty much the gist of it. Awesome. And now let's get to you, Anna. Oh, did you, did you mention that uh, you're uh, Tamara's husband? Oh, no, I didn't mention that. <laughs> I don't know why you feel that's like, it, like, like irrelevant. Yeah, I just, I just personal wanna... information, Elliot. Okay, yeah. wow. Wow. Yeah, Tamara's anyway. a strong independent woman. She doesn't like to be associated with me too much. I would love to be associated <laughs> with you. You're a great guy. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. So I don't know. You came I don't know. Closet. Okay. <laughs> Unnecessary. So, obviously, this episode's off to a great start. Uh, thank God it's recorded. And now let's move on to you, Anna. Okay, so I graduated from law school back in Venezuela, and I did a postgrad in international business here in Toronto. So, yeah, that's pretty much. I've been living in Toronto for almost three years so far. Awesome. And you like it? Yeah, except for the winter. That, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, you uh, never really get used to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just deal with it. Yeah. It's like... So, uh, this episode in particular is pre recorded just so our audience knows. Um, and we're going to get straight to uh, our main topic as it is a big one. So, any developments that happen uh, before this air date uh, have not happened when we've recorded this episode just so that uh, people I mean, are aware we're probably going to cover it like in a we're going to cover for another episode uh yeah for sure we're going to we're going to talk about it in in the future uh in in the episode after this one airs um but uh yeah so now as per spirit life rules and regulations all opinions expressed on the show are not those of ryerson or ryerson faculty and are only those of the individual commentators uh, viewer discretion is advised uh so to our main story Venezuela and the Venezuelan crisis. Uh, the South American country has been caught in a downward spiral for years uh, when growing political discontent further fueled by skyrocketing hyperinflation, power cuts, and shortages of food and medicine. More than 3 million Venezuelans have left the country in recent years, but what exactly is behind this crisis? Uh, what's, what's rocking Venezuela? On today's show, we'll find out. Before we start, remember that, uh, well... We'll be answering your comments. The, the show is live on Facebook, so we'll be answering your comments. Uh, so make sure to comment and we'll reply. First question. I'm going to throw it to our guests uh, firstly. Uh, what ignited the current conflict in Venezuela? 
So I believe that everything started back in 1999, mm. and this was after the election of Hugo Chavez. So during the Chavez administration, there were different policies and changes that came in effect in Venezuela, among them uh, mostly leading to a socialized, mostly a socialized economy. Actually, uh, Chavez called his revolution not only the Bolivarian Revolution, he also said that it was the socialism of the 21st century. So different policies from fixing control prices, from exchange controls, expropriation, nationalizations of companies, everything in the long run has led to this crisis that my country is currently experiencing. That's what I believe. Mm-hmm. Well, would you say that... Um that relying too much on fuel, um, I mean, I guess fuel energy is also a reason why the socialist policies didn't work. I mean, having socialist policies is something pretty common in the world nowadays. So would you say that it's also another element of it is also the fact that they rely too heavily on gas, I guess, or their fuel fossil energy? There was a lot of that. That is true. And the main, the most important company in Venezuela is PDVSA, that is oil of Venezuela. So my country has been very focused on that economic factor. But it is not only that, because when the prices lowered down in the oil market, different countries were affected, but not as bad as Venezuela. And it's because the government has taken over different factors of the Venezuelan economy. For example, Venezuela doesn't have tourism developed. Uh, mm-hmm. The telecommunication company was also nationalized. The electricity company was nationalized. And thousands of business were destroyed during the Chavez process. Mm-hmm. So if you take all that and you add the fact of, of what you mentioned of the old company, obviously it is a formula for disaster. So you're basically saying that uh, when the price of gas went down, the government had no more money to pay for anything, in a way. Yeah, exactly. They run out, they couldn't fund the social programs that they used to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anna, I have a question for you. What would you say that the climate in Venezuela, socio-political climate in Venezuela was like before Chavez came in, like immediately leading up to Chavez? The social climate was pretty much uh, social democracy, mostly. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. It was social democracy. Uh, then we have radical left, and uh, they say that these social democratic uh, parties were actually right wing. None mm. of them were actually. Mm-hmm. And then Hugo Chavez arrived to power. And something very important to to mention is that he attended a military coup in the the daily night in the early nineties. Mm. Okay. So yeah, he was even in prison. And <laughs> even could win the elections after that. Huh. Yeah, it's a very common trend to happen in Latin American countries for uh, for the military to try and take power and to stage a coup. Like it happened in Guatemala. It's happened. I think we mentioned before Panama probably was going through something very similar. Colombia. Um, I know Brazil. Like Jair Bolsonaro. Like he would. Like he's in favor of like coups and stuff like that. He thinks that if they're justified, they can be used. So it's very like Venezuela is like it's like how would I describe it? It's it's the biggest like Latin American like humanitarian crisis that's going on. So it's it's something that like um, we've been ignoring for way too long. 
It's yeah. something that like, and it's it's actually very sad. Like I've like I know like personally just because like um, when I used to work another job, it was like what do you call it? Like, inventory counting is a horrible job. But <laughs> the lady that was there, she was from Venezuela, and she helped explain to me like she immigrated like, a couple years ago, and it was like she just explained like there's just. Like everyone's poor. Like it's like it's and it's like it's it's a horrible thing. Like unless like you you are were unless you were already well off and you had the opportunity to escape and to like come here immigrate, like 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 the best you can do is just work here and send some of the money back over yeah. there so they can like try and survive. But that's like, what I do with my parents, pretty much. Exactly right. It's like that's like that's a common that's a, that's the most common thing that all like Latino parents do, like or like when they move from another country and they still have their other family like. Um, like in their home country, like let's say they go to the United States or Canada, they'll work as much as they can and try and save as much of it and then send it off to them because they need it a lot more. So, And what are the, some of the problems that somebody might face on a day-to-day basis in Venezuela? I mean, I think we generally understand that there's concerns with food shortages and poverty and and shortages of all kinds of things. It's not food shortages. Paper. It's just that there's no food like whatsoever. Well, it's I mean, ridiculous. That would be a shortage. I don't know, no, but um, like a shortage would mean that at least there's some food for the people. There's a shortage lit- was in 2012. We started to experience the shortage. Mm-hmm. Right now, you go to a supermarket in Venezuela, and it's a very dramatic the change because you can find food, but food that most of people cannot even pay. Mm-hmm. And in the past, there was no food at all, and a lot of these people are relying on a uh, on a box that the government gives, like with a ration food. card, right? Isn't yes, it? not even ration card. They they have like this thing that is called the clap box, and it arrives like only once in a month. Mm-hmm. to a Venezuelan family and is com- uh, is controlled by the community council mm-hmm. in the neighborhood. So if the community council knows that you oppose the Chavista government, yeah. they don't give they don't sell you this clap box of food. Wow. Even though it's rightfully yours. Oh, so it's not even for free, right? They sell you the box. Yeah, they sell you. For and discounted price in a way. Yes. And sometimes it comes with products that are not even appropriate for human consumption. Like everything's it's like some stuff is like expired or yes. something like that. There was even this case when they tried to sell like dog food as human food. Wow. 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 I, wow. I know for a fact, like, I was watching a couple of videos. Maybe, like, this is, like, one of the few times Vox has done some genuine reporting. But it was, like, like oh, when they wow. talk about Venezuela. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> I just like making a couple of jokes. But um, I think Vox actually does, like, a decent job most of the time. But specifically with the Venezuela stuff, um, like, they were saying, like, like, the amount, like, I think because like there's so many people ha- don't have access to food, some people are relying on like literal like scraps and stuff like that, like of like of like old carcasses and stuff like that. That's like some people might have to rely to go to such lengths just to have some food, and like it's it's just ridiculous the lengths that the, the Venezuelan people have to go to. Mm-hmm. But I think it's worth mentioning, and obviously, correct me if I'm wrong, that mm-hmm. Venezuela used to be one of the wealthiest countries in South America. That's right? true. Oh, yeah, That's of true. course. Right. Mm-hmm. But that was before they started nationalizing all of these companies, right? right? Mm-hmm. And even before the 90s. Like, Venezuela started a downfall since the early 90s. Yeah. And But what Ruben said is right, especially during the 60s, 70s. Venezuela was, like, the future of, I don't know, a developed country in Latin America. So... Uh, yeah, we receive a lot of immigration instead of sending immigration, and uh, yeah, it, it was it was really nice. Uh, 
of course, I could never leave it, but mm-hmm. I used to read it a lot. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, there's uh, a lot of folks uh, with uh, German ancestry in Venezuela, right, who came over for uh, work opportunities? Oh, yeah. Actually, in Venezuela, we have a small German town. It's called Colonia Tovar, and it's very much a German-based town, and most of their descendants are German, dedicated oh. to the to the fields. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. And so... Um, what has the world's, you know, response been, right? Because this isn't, you know, this isn't the first humanitarian crisis we've experienced. And as uh, Daniel mentioned earlier, um, it hasn't been getting, you know, enough necessarily media attention. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe like only the last like year and a half, yeah, two years, so, right? So what has the world's response been in terms of each country's, say, reaction? Like the U.S.'s response, Canada's response, European Union response? It has been delayed, yeah. a delayed answer. That's what I believe. Because back when Chavez was implementing all this, he started to behave in, total, in a totalitarian way. Since 2006, I would say, mm-hmm. he started to shut down uh, national TV channels. He started to attack the freedom of press. He started to take uh, several decisions, so, such as firing people, that used to work for state-owned companies only because they didn't vote for the Socialist Party. So it was already showing really bad signs of what was going to happen in Venezuela. And still a lot of of the international uh, community used to praise this guy because, you know, certain policies helping helping the poor people. But right now we see the result in the long term and these poor people are having no other option than to leave Mm -hmm. uh, through the Colombian border, through the Brazilian borders, all are risking their lives in the in the Caribbean Sea to reach to Trinidad and Tobago. Their their destiny. They'd rather go anywhere. Like, as soon as it gets, like, cool yes. Way. And being a refugee in Latin America is not easy because mm-hmm. our countries are not proper developed to to face this kind of situation. So a lot of these uh, young Venezuelans, uh, for example, the case of Venezuelan women, a lot of them end up in forced prostitution. Yeah. In places like Colombia, like in the border, or even in Trinidad and Tobago, or even children in these vulnerable conditions. So it's, it's actually really bad. Yeah, like for me, I'd want to make the comparison to like, um, I don't, maybe it's not like that accurate, but maybe with like, like Germany, like in the th- like bef- before World War II and stuff like that, because with the hyperinflation. Exactly, with yeah. the hyperinflation, with um, Hitler, like, you know, like. Um, removing the removal of freedom of the press and stuff like that. Like, there's mm-hmm. lots of similarities that are happening oh, with sure. that. So yeah. it's like, that's like that's to, to think that that's something that happened that long time ago is happening like right now, and it's like well, history repeats itself. Oh, of course, of I course. know, I, I get that, but it's just like you wouldn't expect this. No, you no, wouldn't yeah. expect that. That's the thing. Yeah. But I mean, up to his death, Chavez did have a lot of support in the international community. I mean, just like. When he died, like a lot of world leaders just went to Venezuela to pay respect in a way. Yeah, they did. That's and just them playing diplomacy, though. That's just well, it's I not mean, playing diplomacy in a way, right? So when you have, uh, when you have, um, I guess, a country leader that's oppressing his people, when he dies, usually it's cause for celebration. Mm-hmm. In a way, you don't have a lot of world leaders coming to pay respect. Oh no, but he was already oppressing people even right. back then. <laughs> and I mean, I think a big part of it was so many world leaders across the world saw Chavez as a ideological ally. Mm-hmm. 
Um, now, I, it's escaping me right now, but who are the main people who, uh, in, in the Chavez days, who are the main countries, rather, allied themselves with Venezuela? Was it like, Russia and China? Iran. Iran, yes, Iran. Um, Cuba as well. Cuba. Cuba yes. was pretty much the leader yes, of all this movement. What Fidel Castro did with Hugo Chavez was to give them the flag of the leftist leadership of Latin America. Mm-hmm. And that's why Chavez got so many advisors coming from Cuba to Venezuela. And starting from that, I don't know if you guys are kind of familiar with uh, the South American political movements, mm-hmm. but in Ecuador, in Argentina, in Brazil, you had Lula da Silva for more than 16 years because, well, Dilma was pretty much his, his same party allied. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had in so many countries in Latin America switching to the left, and a lot of it was funded by Venezuelan oil dollars, yeah, petrodollars. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting to see these political movements throughout South America and Latin America that really seem to switch from the extreme left to the extreme right. Um, and, you know, you've got uh, going back as far as the 70s with uh, Pinochet coming over, taking over for, um, what's his name? Um, I can't remember his name now. Allende? But no, Allende? Allende, Allende. yeah. Um, and we see that repeating itself throughout Latin America. Mm-hmm. Oh, with, yeah. uh, of course, uh, Bolsonaro taking over for Lula. And um, now I wonder what's next for Venezuela. Well, I mean, there's need to mention that when Chavez came to power, there was a need for social changes in Venezuela. That's why he was so popular. Mm-hmm. Right, right? Yeah. So, I mean, he got elected in 1996, if I'm not mistaken. No, 1998. Sorry. 1998, sorry for that. So, he got elected in the late 90s, but the crisis or, or like his behavior as a dictatorial leader only started much later. In the case of Venezuela, in 1998, it can be compared to current Mexico and the the administration of uh, Andres López Obrador. Mexicans, they didn't have certainly a capitalist government. They had also something certainly like a a social democracy. Mm -hmm. And they were disappointed with all the corruption, all the problems that that Mexico is facing. And then there is this guy with more socialist ideas as well, more left-leaning ideas that is promising a revolution, a Mm -hmm. different, you know... a different government for Mexico, and Mexicans go and vote for him. Something very similar happened with Hugo Chavez back in ninety, back in nineties. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, you mentioned about uh, left wing, right wing. I want to ask: Is this, you know, Bolsonaro and and how you know the progression of his authoritarian, you know, regime now? Is this an issue Bolsonaro of Bolsonaro uh, or Chavez? You mean Maduro? Maduro? Maduro, yeah. the one who? Okay. Caused, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bolsonaro. Sorry. Um, is this? Sure you know. Yeah. Uh, you're, thank you. Um, is this an issue of uh, political ideology or just nonpartisan, you know, corruption? I think one one thing has led to to the other, because if you give more power to the government, it's very likely that they will become more corrupt, more addicted to power, and that's basically especially what in an undeveloped country. It's like like in Latin America. And yeah, South America. you don't have the strong institutions over there. So uh, in Venezuela, we have five governments, not three. We have five governments. Th- sorry, five powers that are independent 
independent in theory from each other. So we how had, does that work? Yeah, the executive power, the judicial power, the citizens' power, electoral power, and the legislative. And all of them, with the exception of the National Assembly, yeah. were taken by Maduro. Well, not even Maduro, back in the days of Hugo Chavez. So these, th there is no independence. So he took control of four of the five uh, mm -hmm. institutions? Well, in theory, that's a really good idea to have five separate institutions. I mean, Yeah, but if they are not really independent, right. then not for sure. like, <laughs> they I mean, are in theory, corrupt. It's a good idea, but like if you take them over, obviously. <laughs> yeah, like it doesn't work. So, and uh, from that, he started to, you know, fire people from PDVSA, the oil company, because they were not loyal to Chavez. Mm -hmm. We People who decided to sign a referendum against them a lot of them were fired or removed from the charge. That thing happened to my my dad, actually. Wow. Yes, only because he decided to 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 vote for a referendum against Chavez, and starting yeah. from that, the government started to expand. It started to expand, and it attracts more people because it's like, oh, I want to get a job, but I work, I live in, and work in a small town where my best option is to work with the government. What this person do? go and apply with a job uh, with a, within the government. And what is the result? You need to vote for me. You, be to you need to be loyal to me. And if you're not loyal, I'm going to fire you. Right, so it's basically buying political loyalty for uh, job, money, housing, whatever it is. Exactly. Yeah. So in this case, these people started to get more and po more powerful. They started to get access to more state resources, and they are millionaires nowadays. The, the, the richest woman in Venezuela is the daughter of Hugo Chavez. Wow. <laughs> Holy shit. So yeah, I wanted to ask, like, in terms of um, international aid or international... Um, intervention if there has been any like what would you say like you're expecting to see if any i believe that when it comes to international intervention um i am not sure if maduro will live peacefully because mm -hmm. we're talking about a government that is involved in drug trafficking we're talking about a government that has been committing a human rights violations wait what do you mean with drug trafficking though like i'm obviously not like like they're actually like doing it themselves, but yeah, that, they do. What, they like drugs into this into their own country. Yeah, and Venezuela is the most important port. You're you're saying no. You're so you're telling me that the government allow no. There's a difference between like the government allowing like narcos to do it or just the government itself doing it. You're saying the government itself does that. Yes. Bringing in their drugs. Yes. That's pretty fucked up. Yeah. That's hor well, horrifying. I mean, in a way, Sorry. if the government if the government does it, it becomes legal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and. Uh, and, the yet ones leading, and yet it's still outlawed, right? Yeah, the ones leading the biggest drug cartel in Venezuela mm -hmm. is Diosdado Cabello. And, well... Uh, and for our viewers who don't know who that is? Yeah, and uh, this guy is the right hand of Maduro. He was the president of the National Assembly in the past. Mm -hmm. And when, when the Chavistas were still in power of the National Assembly... And he's one of the most powerful men inside the Maduro regime, and he is also a drug lord. Wow, that's like, 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 like the comparison behind it is like, well, do you guys know like about like Colombia and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. Like, that's how like, like, <clears throat> like uh, Pablo Escobar's power and influence like in that in his time was so strong that he was able to get like a like a seat. Like, yeah, a, inside a, a, the Congress, inside <laughs> the House of Commons and stuff wow. like that. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So it's like. 
Well, I mean, you have to take it with a grain of salt to a certain extent. I mean, we, we're viewing it from an external perspective, but in a way, if the government allows it, it becomes legal for that particular country. Yeah, but mm-hmm. this legal stuff, for the right people. Yeah, but this well, stuff yeah, only yeah. happens because these countries are these countries have poor systems in in place. These got these aren't properly run democracies. They're riddled with nepotism, riddled with communist co- co- um, corruption. But yeah, it's like <laughs> yeah, that's a communism. So <laughs> it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, not in theory. Communism in theory is actually a pretty decent idea and I'm sure that's uh, that's a debate for another time Okay. You know, people people always that, say okay. it's good on paper, bad in execution. I think it's bad. Both I have the ways. paper right here. Hundred <laughs> million deaths. I think it's right bad here. on paper too. Bad. bad well, I mean, the bad paper bad in itself, too. if you refer back to Marxist writings, it actually makes sense. Yeah. Until Actu- you put it in practice. <laughs> well, I, I mean, you can't really put it in practice because it's too. Um, Just kidding, I did. Should we, but should we really trust a book that was written so many years ago? It's like old books like hey, that. Hey, look at the Bible. Well, you yeah. still have millions of people trusting exactly it. That's exactly what I was referring to. I knew, of course, you were referring to that, yeah. heathen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, I, I don't think it being old has anything to do with how valid it is. I think that uh, the whole fact that uh, that Marxism, communism, is necess- necessarily anarchistic, but for it to be implemented, it's not anarchistic. It goes through a period of anarchy before it becomes, before it becomes a, a regime that gives everyone an equal chance, equal opportunity. For sure, but the the idea of Marxism, Marx sees a um, a society without uh, class, a non hierarchical society. In other mm-hmm. words, an anarchistic society. Well, not necessarily. Like a, a society without class is only anarchist if you view it within the perspective that there needs to be classes. If you get what I'm saying. I get what you're saying. No, I get what you're saying. I, I suppose that's a that totally valid perspective as I well. Um, and I don't want to distract from the topic too much, but I think my main problem with uh, Marxism in, in theory is the fact that its implementation requires force. And Lenin does address this appropriately in his belief that the force will kind of dissipate after a while. Um, but the implementation of it requires force and authority, but the actual execution of these principles require... A lack of force and authority. So, yeah. so do you? Does everyone or uh, believe or not believe that what's happening as in Venezuela is a result of Marxism or communism? I do. I do believe so, because they are starting to take to apply basically different theories through it. They start to come with these socialist ideas, uh, you know, creating cooperatives, believing in a community council, everything that was controlled within the community, but directed through a government. So in the end of the day, you don't let, uh, what what guarantees you to that this will actually work and that the government won't become totalitarian? There's no guarantee, right? But you, you have to make a you have to make a, a difference between communism and socialism in a way, right? Especially communism, the way we usually understand it as like USSR, thousands of millions of deaths. Like it's totally different in practice. It's a great idea to give people the power to decide, right? Right. But there is no guarantee that the government won't become totalitarian at a certain point. Mm-hmm. But like in theory, it's a great idea to give people the power to decide on their own destiny. Yeah, they uh, do. It's a, it's a tool to make actually. In theory, it's a tool to make sure that the government doesn't become totalitarian. I don't believe so, because in the end, the government still keep the guns. And if you keep the guns, you pretty much can turn totalitarian. Might is always right, regardless of truth. Truth is thrown out the window when might is involved. And I think when you have a system in which might is so heavily concentrated and not... 
um, concentrated uh, in on the people. It's concentrated on the people who have the power to oppress. Like military oppression, power. Oppression yeah. is necessitated by that. And I, I don't entirely think that this situation is exclusively due to Marxism or communism or socialism, what have you. But I, I do certainly think that it's a big part of it. Yeah, and I guess like kind of bringing it back to what I asked, um, I'm more I, I'm personally interested in hearing like how the international community is reacting to this crisis. Mm. And I know like there's different opinions that people have whether or not you know America should ever get involved or Canada should get involved. Um, so for our guests, I'm wondering like um, what like your opinion is on that in this specific instance. I believe that if Maduro doesn't allow democratic elections but like really democratic elections not like the ones they had last year that is more similar to what happens in cuba or that's north why there korea were so many protests though and that's why it got the, yes. that's why it got all this exposure and that's why we're talking about it now because yeah. they had elections that everyone knew were completely undem undemocratic yeah. even a smartmatic that is the company that used to count the votes mm -hmm. the ceo say that during the elections of the national constituent uh, uh, the, the constituent national assembly yeah and there was there were so many irregularities that in the end they, the numbers don't make sense and smartmatic has stopped operating in my country because they say that my government committed fraud mm -hmm. and so you know you have an an illegitimate president that is just starving its own people that has caused the largest humanitarian crisis that is affecting south america there needs to be an international coalition if he doesn't leave peacefully. And and how do you see that international coalition? What what kind of actions do you see uh, the international community taking to to have that uh, rectified and to fix Venezuela? Right now, you have different options going on. Uh, the biggest support uh, is coming from the United States, but you also have the Lima Group, which Peru and Canada are leading. So for the Lima Group, uh, they don't believe in a military intervention. And who is the Lima Group, just for our audience? The Lima Group is uh, a group that was created to deal with the Venezuelan humanitarian and refugee crisis. And this is uh, involved with governments such as uh, Canada, Peru, uh, Chile, different countries in Latin America are involved in this group. And uh, they, they propose this idea, but with the United States, any option is over the table. It's on top of the table, yeah. Well, I think it's a bit more complicated than that. Obviously, like at a certain point, you well, there is such a concept as sovereignty, like, Last time, I, last time I checked, Venezuela is a sovereign country, so there is no right for other countries to tell them how to run their own business. Obviously, if we get to the point where the crisis gets out of hand... The crisis is already out of hand. Right, yeah. but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't in any way justify military intervention, right? Yes, the thing it does. is that you're no, having doesn't. for I, think, I personally do think it Well, does. so then you give a precedent, right? Every time there's a crisis see, but, that uh, but, can be resolved but peacefully, the, but the you just States, send the army. Yeah, but the United States already made that precedent by invading, not invading, but like um, intervening in all, all of these Latin American countries. Yeah, but look at the results of it, mm -hmm. right? None of the, not all of them are bad. Yeah, a lot of times they just insult the puppet government and what happened afterwards is that it actually created a more uh, it actually created more problem for the people themselves uh, yeah and, like, mm. I'll, and I'll agree with you on that on that aspect like like, like uh, American intervention has not worked for most of the time 
But I do think some sort of intervention has to happen. I don't think U.S. needs to be in charge of it because we've, sh- like, like Tamara said it before, like history keeps repeating itself. We know that whenever a U.S.-backed uh, um, intervention happens, it usually, like, results in something shittier. Right. Like, right? So, like, so I, for me, I think it would need to be, like, maybe, like, on a diplomatic way somehow to try and resolve this humanitarian crisis, whether it be persecuting Maduro through the ICC or the ICJ. I know, personally, like, I don't like those institutions because I just don't think they're maybe that mm-hmm. effective. But, like, I'm willing to throw out some options and figure out some solutions. And if if, pe- if people can think that that could be a genuine solution for that, at least a way to, like, prosecute him, maybe that's, that you, can help. Do you feel that uh, diplomatic and non-military intervention has happened thus far at all? Yes, uh, they have taken the dialogue to different levels, from the mm-hmm. Organization of American States to the uh, United Nations. And as I said, if you're having people that are involved in drug cartels, uh, even in terrorism in the Middle East, they are not going to leave because they know that if they leave, they will probably end up in prison. Mm-hmm. And that's the last thing that they want. They're going to hold on to powers for as long as they can. Exactly. And then, like, when, when we know that that's going to happen, unfortunately, we, we need to, like, step up, stoop up, stoop to their level. And we need to, like, fight fire with fire. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, like that's like, 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 if only in those situations when we know they're not going to leave their post, that's when, like, like the only other option is some sort of military intervention, yeah, and I hate and I hate saying that, huh? Power has gotten so much to their heads. Yeah, exactly. This is what's you know. Think of, like that's what happened with Libya, right? With Gaddafi. Like, I, can th- yeah, I can think of some other examples. And right? the and, but, the, and the saddest situation is that you're playing with people's lives in this because yeah. while you call for another dialogue, like what Mexico and Uruguay proposed, yeah, it, there's people dying because mm-hmm. they don't have medicine. Like, how, many, people, but it, it's how many Venezuelans what, are going to have to die before we actually have to figure out? Yeah, what's but same thing with the military intervention there's always people dying right like whether it's people that are part of the army which it's their job to die to a certain extent but there's also like victim like there's also civilian casualties all the time whenever there is a military intervention there's civilian casualties right so there's people gonna die anyway right so might as well try to do it in the most peaceful manner what's the cartel situation like in venezuela the cartel situation like is actually uh, one big cartel that is the the cartel of el soles like like i mentioned it that's the name of the cartel yes Playing with the distribution and having, of course, another group, uh, like, not paramilitary, but, like, uh, criminal organizations mm-hmm. within the, like gorilla, the country. Guerrilla terrorist and, organizations. But there is, there is a paramilitary presence to uh, to some extent. Oh, yes. Yeah. Of course. Especially uh, FARC yes. from Colombia FARC, is operating okay. mostly in Venezuela. FARC. Really? Even though, like, they have political they have political status in Colombia now? No. They, they, they just, like, they, switched they, the thing? Yes. So I guess my concern would be is the creation of a power vacuum and uh, a military intervention giving the opportunity for FARC and other paramilitary organizations as well as uh, cartels to seize power. And I feel like does it get get much worse than Maduro? No, I mean, but we don't know. We we once said that it can't get much worse than Saddam Hussein. Yeah. Uh, And of course it did. Um and so although I am more on the side of military intervention in this situation, at least as far as seeing uh, things go well for the Venezuelan people, mm-hmm. I do worry about the potential for a power vacuum and for uh, paramilitary and cartels seizing power. See, like, the problem is like even if intervention does occur, there's one of two things that can happen. They create like they like create like a proper democracy with create a new constitution and make it. And they make they completely reform the country, but 
in that in that same time, like the narcos are just gonna step into and they're gonna not necessarily seize power, but they're gonna seize, they're gonna instill fear into mm, the Venezuelan sure, public, sure. so that they are gonna vote for, so they're gonna vote for certain policies and stuff like that, because that's how much power and influence those cartels are going to have yes, if something happens. But the good thing about this one is that if there is indeed a change of the government, they can go after Cabello, that is the main leader, and the guy funded them. Mm. So that would play a different role. Now, the criminality in Venezuela involving all the drug situation is something that even Venezuelans cannot answer how it should be fixed because it's so large at this extent that it's, it's, a, it's a really bad issue. What, about drugs? Or about, you mean the Venezuelan people consuming them or just like in general? No, in just gen the crime. Yeah, oh, the, the crime, crime rate associated it's with crazy, it. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you would say that the issue of dealing with Maduro is a much more pressing issue than the, the cartels or the paramilitary organizations? Because they're interconnected. If mm. you attack Maduro... So they, they're on the same side yes. as Maduro. Okay, mm -hmm. okay. So that makes... That actually changes things a bit yeah. because when you see these situations in other countries where there's been a power vacuum, it's been opposing forces who took power mm -hmm. following the deposition of a despot. Well, but, I mean, in a way, that's a bit of a generalization because even within political powers, there's different factions, right? Sure, sure. So if Maduro leaves, it doesn't like officially he's not associated with those cartels. Right? Yes, of course. He is unofficially like everyone knows about it. It's not it's a it's not a secret, really. Yeah. But like in the eyes of the world, it's still two different institutions. So it still creates that power vacuum once Maduro is out of power. Mm. That is true. Yeah, you, yeah, you're making you're making some good points here. Man. Well, you're thank you very much. <laughs> hmm. But I'm saying, like at the uh, at the end of the day, I don't think military military intervention is ever justified. I mean, we have way. I'm not making any comparison because yeah. any humanitarian crisis is really bad. But yeah. we have way worse humanitarian humanitarian crisis in the world, and you have to ask yourself why does the U.S. want to intervene in that particular country and not in yeah, other countries? Yes, so I'm inclined to agree with you, Ruben, because I. I Generally, I'm very supportive of the concept of, of sovereignty, as well as uh, the um, the notion that you know a country that is doing a, performing military intervention is doing so for their benefit and not for the benefit of the country being in yes. the problem. Yeah. That's, that's the problem. But that, that is stuff. the other thing that Venezuela is not really independent from foreign powers. As a matter of fact, Maduro has been receiving a lot of support from China, Russia, mm -hmm. and Cuba. And we even have Cuban military members involved in our army. So wow. how we are sovereign when we are having actually yeah. a lot of countries inflicting on us. And that's a great point. That's well, a great point. Not necessarily. I mean, like you still remake, you still keep your sovereignty if you're allowed those external elements to but come see, in. Like, right. It's being allowed by the government, not by the Venezuelan people. Yeah, mm -hmm. but sh but a, the idea of sovereignty only makes sense if the government is actually serving the needs of the people though right I yeah think, venezuelans have been kidnapped by a criminal government yeah right? and I, I think that if uh the people are being served the interests of the people are being served by an intervention i don't see that as a violation of sovereignty right but once again when did it ever happen that there was a military intervention and the people were served and i'm saying because at the end of the day let's say the u.s does a military intervention they will impose their views their regime their people mm -hmm. onto the venezuelan people they will create that power vacuum and at the end of the day the venezuelan people will not have their world to say right See, and that's it's a why, vicious circle in a way. and that's why that's why it didn't work all those times when the u.s intervened because it was the u.s specifically i think what we were proposing before was like a coalition or something like that well not necessarily like look at libya for example 
example, you had France, you had a lot of European countries, mm -hmm. you had the United States, you had Canada, but look at the results, right? The Libya Sorry. is still a mess today. Yeah, In which but Libya. not necessarily. Oh, yeah. Look at Panama. You can take Panama as an example. Mm -hmm. Or Pan Argentina or Chile. Or Chile. Chile is having right now the best quality of life in Latin America. Right, but what did it take for them to get there, right? Yeah, but it's better it than just US living than like Cuba. Right, but it, like it's the U.S. imposing a puppet government, the people suffering, and then the people having to rise up once again to regain the, to regain their freedom. They actually threw out Vinoch Pinochet through vote. Mm -hmm. He 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 himself had a referendum saying, "Do you still want me or no?" Yeah, um, that's not happening with my president. Right. Yeah, it's not like you'd ever do that. No, yeah. no. no. And no. I think when you have True that, these, but it's giving people a voice. That's what it is at the end of the day. I, yes. For me, this for me personally, this isn't about like Venezuela being specifically socialist or communist or anything like that. Like if even if Maduro was in charge and he was in charge of the capitals of Venezuela and and was systematically oppressing people in the same way, then I would still justify going through an intervention and stuff like that because I know some of the questions before we were talking about whether it's politically motivated just because mm -hmm. it's a socialist government so it's like it's not about like, for me I could I could give I could give less you know hoots about that but it's it's just about protecting these Venezuelan people no one no one is there to protect them someone mm -hmm. needs to do that job yeah they someone... like to ask like uh -huh. what like what needs to happen like moving forward what do you think I think needs to happen yeah well, uh, I think that's what Anna was saying, like, like some sort of coalition or something, like to go well, in. But it's. <sighs> I believe is in the end of the day there will be a coalition because, like I said, this is not only affecting Venezuela. This is started to affect the neighbor countries. This is yeah. affecting South America, and it affects our global economy too, though, because Venezuela could have, like, if Venezuela was actually propped up to have a very strong economy, even though it's based like in a fossil fuel economy. That would have that would have that, that could have easily helped us a lot more. Like, wouldn't it, wouldn't it make more sense to like to take like maybe not specifically for Canada, but Venezuela could have like improved the economy of all the other um, Latin American countries if they were able to export their oil and like all of their natural mm -hmm. resources yeah. to the other countries and stuff like that. That would have lifted everyone out of poverty if they were able to do it properly without like that wasn't that was not using uh, nationally operated like. Um, a government-operated corporation. So now, like, now with the interim uh, president, right? Yeah. Um, what was his full name again? Juan Guaido. Yes, yeah. I can't pronounce it for Guaido. the life of me. But, <laughs> Almost like Guido, but uh, so, <laughs> But with with him in power, is that gonna help or hinder the situation? Oh yes, it's absolutely helping, but it's because this guy didn't self proclaim himself like like uh, like some people the say like allowed him to become in power, yes right? different articles uh, 2033 335 138 if I'm not wrong they are the different articles taken by the by the Venezuelan constitution that is pretty much the the, the mechanism of protection mm -hmm. that the Venezuelan constitution has mm. to defend the democracy so, of the country. So then Didn't Chavez, uh, Chavez create a new like constitution in a way when he got to power? Yes. And that's and why it makes it easier for him to oppress the people. Because yeah, no, the but but even this constitution, this was approved by Hugo Chavez, the one that he mentioned. And uh -huh. can you imagine 
that not even the lawmakers imagine such a bad situation in the country that they they didn't they couldn't create a particular article that will help to to you know find the solution of this situation at least the constitutional solution mm-hmm. they need to interpret the norm and pre- and apply the the mechanism of the protections principle in order to reach to this conclusion that maduro is illegitimate mm-hmm. so then if there's a lot of collusion in the government how did uh, lawmakers and how did the people manage to appoint the interim president they did it because maduro uh, first of all everything started back in 2015 when venezuela elected the the, the national assembly mm-hmm. starting from that it was the only power out of the hands of the chavismo so this means trouble for them mm-hmm. they use it the judicial power in order to take over the 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 national assembly and by a decree in 2017 maduro stripped this uh, national assembly elected by the venezuelan people from its powers and he called for a new national assembly to be elected under well any fraudulent uh, conditions that you can imagine that's what what i said mentioned that the that's what i mentioned before that the ceo of smartmatic stopped operating because there was fraud and if you look at the constituent national assembly in venezuela right now in google you will realize that all of them belong to the venezuelan uh, maduro regime mm-hmm. so uh, starting from that maduro also called for another elections presidential elections and different parties that belonged to the positions were banned. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't free elections. And so only his party or other parties similar that would support him would be able yes, to run. Yes, exactly. So if you have like a bullshit like a liberal party that is still like chavista in, in, in concept, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And he managed this and most of Venezuelans were not even willing to vote because they 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 don't trust in the institutions anymore because they know they're corrupted. Mm-hmm. So after that Maduro he was announced that he was well, you know, declared the president and he was supposed to a uh, how sorry my english is betraying me right now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, take position on the 10th of january but he knew he he should do this in front of the national assembly mm-hmm. how can he do that when he pretty much dismantled the national assembly mm-hmm. elected by the venezuelan people <laughs> and that's a sine qua non condition in order to claim yourself as the legitimate president if he doesn't do it he is not the president and that's when Juan Guaidó uh. enter in place because he say you didn't sworn yourself to me you didn't uh, uh, took position of the charge you uh, didn't like officially like ratify yeah, it yeah of uh, in front of my assembly so you are not the president of Venezuela because you didn't follow the steps mm-hmm. and so there is a void there is no president mm-hmm. and according to the Venezuelan constitution if the president is not in charge and he's absent the one who should call for elections is the this uh, the president of the national assembly so mm-hmm. he's an interim president because of that and so voting in venezuela you there's no privacy for the voting they know who you voted for there was supposed to be privacy in the past but uh, still they played along with the numbers and they use also a lot of fear mm-hmm. so for example i have my family they live in a small town they are the typical case 
of small town people who needs to vote for the needs to work for the government because they is the only thing that they can work for mm-hmm. and they are usually under threat of losing their jobs if they don't I support see. Maduro or vote for and him. And how do they know who they voted for? They like they're able to see who you voted for? Uh, they they don't, they are not reading even even able, but people are so scared ah, of this situation that mm-hmm. even if they are not able to see it, uh, they still vote for him because of course is 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 your work is the money that you get is everything at risk mm-hmm. and if you have a family you have even more things at risk. I see. Yeah, yeah you like just don't want to take any risks. Like you don't you don't even know if Maduro is going to be able to see. Yeah. Or I see. Okay. Well, I mean, there's always like a social element in this kind of situations where, uh, I mean, obviously, like as people that live in a social uh, cocoon, you need to talk to people about whether it's your political beliefs mm-hmm. or whether it's something else. And I'm mm-hmm. sure there's always someone that will report back to the government. So it's that, that yeah, state of constant fear. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a constant fear. Like you cannot talk by, uh, bad by the government. For example, I used to work in the te- telecommunication company that was uh, nationalized by Maduro. And I remember that even posting something in social media against Maduro could put my job under threat. But it, like, so like, you always like, talk about how like the job security is at risk when if you criticize uh, Maduro. But in terms of like, is that the only danger it is? Or is it like a potential, like a life-threatening danger as well? Oh like, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Especially right now. Like even if you were like protesting or being like a, being, like, a political activist, you know? Like there's a difference between like posting something on social media and and I guess like protesting like, like like actually there like in front of like the in front of the institution you're right, right? you you're totally right about it and right now there is uh, maduro created this uh, there are like a police force mm-hmm. that is called FIES, and FIES is uh, entering the house of people in poor neighborhoods in venezuela yeah. uh, chasing down people who are protesting in these neighborhoods and killing them wow just killing them. Wow. It's like the SS. That's ridiculous, man. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, I got to say, as bad as the situation is, it's uh, this situation seems to be more... Uh uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not necessarily correct, but it's not as bad as other regimes throughout the world. Where if you express, if you express, um, Sen- dissentiment, your dissent yeah, towards something, dissent towards the government, you get killed or you get put in jail right yeah. away. Like I mean, as a matter of fact, the interim president is still alive. Maybe mm-hmm. he's hiding somewhere, but he's still alive. He's, he's not usually hiding himself. And yeah. What, and what if he came out of hiding? Would he be killed? There, is, the only thing that is uh, is keeping Juan Guaido alive is the threat of the United States. That's mm-hmm. the reality. And so the military, they totally side with Maduro. Yeah, I see. they still do. Okay. Wow. Why is that? Why is that? Why? Because the military is keeping a lot of privilege that average Venezuelans don't have. Yeah, like they have like better access to food, mm-hmm. better homes and stuff like that. Electronics, electricity, cars, yeah. expensive cars they can get iPhones, access to. iPhones, yeah. AirPods, you know. AirPods. Yeah, for real. Yeah. <laughs> for real. It's it's crazy how many elements there are to this because I think when you look in these situations, I love this topic. you, you so often good. assume that... You know, you have these questions. Why would anybody side with Maduro? You, uh, you, why would anybody side with whoever the yeah. despot of the day is? And um, I guess people don't realize how deep these cr- uh, connections, how deep like the that. corruption goes with giving fancy cars to the military and that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. um, I think when you're in that kind of situation, it's so hard not to side with the 
the government, no matter how evil the government might be. Just out of fear be, and... Just out of yeah. fear yeah. And, and bribery. Yeah, yeah I pretty feel much. Like, I feel like listening to these kind of stories and hearing what, uh, you know, is going on with the military and what's going on in um, Venezuela makes me personally realize, like, how lucky we are to live in Canada. Like, I know we're talking a lot about, you know, um, the fight on free speech and all of that, but then mm-hmm. you compare it to what's going on in Venezuela and it's like, there is nothing sure. like it's not even comparable at this point. Believe me, I was happy when I went to a Costco for the first time in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Damn. Well, wait, what's the so, difference when you say that when you're talking about uh, Costco in Canada? Oh, because in Venezuela, uh, I couldn't buy food uh, like like I uh, like I do here. In really? Ve- yes, in Venezuela, even for buying a, a box of cornflakes, I used to put my fun- fingerprint in um in in the cash machine because that was the way that they knew that I was buying this box of cornflakes and I couldn't buy this box of cornflakes again until the next week. Wow. Oh my god, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah, imagine that if like Costco's like, yeah, you can come in just once a week. Yeah. It's like yeah, That's just buy milk, but once a week. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> but it's so weird because, like, if you're paying for it, why don't they want your money? No, because uh, that's the way the government decided to deal with the scarcity and shortages. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. So then, wow. to to wrap up, since we have just about five minutes left, um, more so because we talked a little about like what you know, what is the future? What what do you want to see happen? You know, and, and this is open to everybody. I'll start with with Anna's response, but anybody is welcome to, to 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 say their views on what they want to happen. Let's go with the and how, first. Yeah. yeah so then. Anna, so what do I want to happen? I want my country to have really free elections. Mm-hmm. I want Venezuelan people to decide, and I want my country to be free again. That's what I want. And how do you want that to happen? I want that to happen... With a military intervention? If there's a military intervention, let it be. But to continue the way it is, is just a nightmare. A never-ending mi- nightmare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ruben? Well, I mean, obviously, like, I can't really relate to the situation, and I'm not in a position to say what I want to see for a country that's not necessarily mine. I mean, obviously, like, I think we could all agree that we want the country to be a democracy, I mean, mm-hmm. to a certain extent to see the people having a voice and having their voices heard. I think that's what we're hoping for at this point. How it happened, I think it's up to the people to decide it's not up to foreign powers to impose their ideology on others. Mm-hmm. That's fair. That? Marshall? Yeah, I kind of uh, have a middle point between those two. Like, I, I And I guess not that Anna was pro-military uh, intervention necessarily, but she makes a great point. If, if that's how it has to be, that's how it has to be for me. You know, I, I want the same things that anybody else wants for any country. I just want them to be doing well, their people to be doing okay. Um, and I, as much as I don't like to see foreign countries acting... Um, within other countries. I do think that whatever serves the interests of the Venezuelan people the most, if that has to be a military intervention, then so be it. And do you think that's what they want? Um, from Simply from what I read online, it seems like there is quite a bit of support for some sort of intervention from the U.S. in particular. Um, but... I also don't think I'm in a position to say what they want. I and I don't even think it's necessarily about what they want because nobody wants another country's military in their country. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, no that's one true. wants it. It's that you know. It's just the only option. Yeah, exactly. Daniel. Um. 
Yeah, I'd probably just want some sort of uh, military intervention. But like for me, I want like I want th- I want history at least to be changed. And like, every time a Latin American country has gone through something like this, it's always been the U.S. that's been in charge. Um, if this were to happen, I wouldn't want the U.S. to be in charge. Who would you want? Um, Canada. Why not? <laughs> do you Colombia. think? Colombia. <laughs> do you think we really could? do anything it's like it's a coalition though no yeah. but it's a coal no but like a coalition like but like like the, the thing is i think i don't know if i maybe i said it in my in my women war in politics class but like like this the u.s has always been doing this just as just to, for their like needs just to serve their personal interest i just wish one time the u.s would do this not like to not um, serve their own personal needs and stuff like that. Because if because if they do do that, it's just gonna be just like Saudi Arabia and stuff like that. It's just, it, it's it, yeah. there's not it's just gonna be the Saudi Arabia of South America. It's just gonna be a very large um, fossil fuel economy country that's that's consistently oppressing its own people for. But they're allowed to do it just because they have American support. That's fucked up. And sadly, I don't think that'll ever happen, that a country ever does something. I mean, the U.S. specifically does something to... Not just benefits them. Yeah, altruistically. Um, uh, Maybe I'm too optimistic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, personally, I'm still learning uh, a lot more about the situation. I'll admit I'm not, you know, the most uh, well-briefed on it. Mm -hmm. Um, But that being said, like, I'm definitely not in any position to speak for Venezuelan people or, you know, people that are going through this uh, crisis. Uh, Like I said, you know, here in Canada... Um, I feel very privileged, especially after hearing everything that Anna had to say. Um, so I guess like really, you know, listening to the Venezuelan, uh, Venezuelan people and uh, giving them a voice and hearing what they want to say, uh, sorry, and hearing what they want done uh, is like the number one important thing here uh, to solve this crisis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, uh, uh, you know, just like tomorrow, I, I'm not the most educated on the crisis, um, but definitely um Whatever, Seriously. whatever the the, Venezue- the Venezuelan people want, I think should be done, just because they're the ones who have been suffering, and they should That's they good. should be the ones to and choose they have to what live happens. With the results. Exactly, mm, yeah. yeah. Um, but that was our show for this week. Uh, Thank you to uh, everyone that's uh, hopefully tuning in. Uh, and uh, thank you, a big, big thank you to uh, Ruben and Anna for coming on. You both uh, really made the show uh, amazing um, with <laughs> your knowledge. You. Uh, and again, thank you to the usual suspects, Tamar, Daniel, Marshall. Um, that was our show for this week. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode of The Robin Report. Same day. Same time, same people. Have a great day, everyone.